Good morning, church. My name is Christy. Happy Sunday. Happy spring training. Go Jays. Welcome. Um, my name is Christy. I, I like them if you can't tell. My name is Christy. I am part of the staff team here at New Life, and this is my younger daughter, Paisley. Um, and we are going to do three-ish things this morning. If you're new here, um, three-ish things is basically just let you know what's going on. We've got a few things coming up, some announcements, some events, some things changing out in life, so we just want to make you aware. I just have to say first, though, I just love you guys. I was just listening to you sing and watching, sorry, I'm going to get emotional, watching you stand and stretch out your hands to pray for this. I just love this place. I love this family. I'm so glad you're here this morning. Ooh, good. Okay. Ooh, yeah. First thing is brew life. Um, Scott and Alana were up here a few weeks ago letting you know about some changes. And today is the big relaunch. So we have increased our prices, done some new rebranding. Um, so, and this is basically to further reflect the, the heart and the vision behind Brew Life is to send money to a cool. It's not about the church making a profit. And so um, you'll notice that change, a little bit of new branding. Um, so we just want to make you aware of that. Um, Brew Life does cut off at 5-2. So if you want to get a coffee get here early. Um, the other thing, if you go out, you'll notice that there are um, kids. They've been on that wall for probably a year and a half to two years looking for someone to sponsor them. So if that's something you feel like you can do, you can just ask whoever's at Brew Life after the service. I believe it's about $38 a month to sponsor a child. We would love to see those get taken. Um, and one last thing, with our new terminal that we got a few months ago, we actually have the option of mobile orders. So that is an option if Sometimes getting up on Sunday and getting to church on time is hard, and we understand that. So this would give you the ability to be able to order from home and then pick up whenever you get here. But in order to launch that, we need more bodies. We need more baristas. So again, if that's a way that you feel like you could serve, please talk to me, Alana, Scott, email the office, anything like that. You're up, kid. The second one is the Witoto concert on the 14th of this month. It is at 7 o'clock. Um, you don't have to register, um, it's by donation. Um, we would, we have seen that many people have attended this before, so if you have a larger number of people, come early to get seats. Um, we also need lots of help, so we need about two to three people to help with the merchandising after the concert. Um, we need a couple people to help with the food and kitchen and serving um, at the concert. And we also need about two to three people to help the choir unpack at around two o'clock before the concert um, just to get all their stuff in and unpack. And so if you have any, if you can do that, then contact Phil. Are you in the service? Yeah, Phil's in the back over there. Contact him if you would like to help out. Perfect. Thanks, kid. The last one is the um, House of Grace Pregnancy Crisis Center uh, fundraiser. So we're going to be hosting that here. We're not involved in the planning, but we're just facilitating. Um, it's going to be a great event. There's going to be a fashion show. Um, there's going to be a gently used clothing sale. Um, there'll be snacks, and there will be a silent auction. And this is all to benefit um, the pregnancy center that opened up, I guess, They've been open about a year now. So you'd like to come. Tickets are 20 bucks. You can buy them online or at the door. And um, invite your friends, invite your neighbors. Let's have a good time. That's it. Thanks, guys. Um, if you have your Bible, open up your Bible as I start us off with this morning's reading. Uh, Matthew 16, um, verse 13. I'll give you guys a second. Lord, may our ears be open, our hearts be ready as we read your word. I'm reading from NLT. 
When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked the disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all the power of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Well, I am excited to begin uh, this new series that we are doing. And uh, Simon has put this together. He will be here next week to preach sermon number two. Uh, And what we're going to do is we're going to be journeying to Jerusalem. And today we're starting way up at the top at Caesarea Philippi of of Galilee. It's way up north. And so if you had a map and you could see, I know I should probably put one up here, but it probably wouldn't mean anything to you anyway. But above Galilee is Caesarea Philippi. And that's where we're going to start, up there. Next message is going to be the, the, uh, the, the transfiguration on the Mount of Tabor, and that's just below the Sea of Galilee. And then we're going to travel all the way down to Bethany, and it is across the Jordan River, and there is where Jesus uh, raises Lazarus from the dead, and his feet are, the last message will be, his feet are washed, the washing of his feet. So pretty excited to continue on a journey with Jesus, and this is a journey with Jesus to Jerusalem. So this morning... uh, well, I've got a lot of material to cover, and I have a choice. I could talk really fast, and you say, that's what you always do, Scott, is you always talk fast. Um, I could not worry about the time and just give her. And some of you go, yeah, I'm good with that. And other of you say, I have a roast in the oven. I can't be late. Uh, we'll just see how it goes, all right? But I'm excited about this message, and I could park myself in any one of my uh, points I have today. So, if you have your Bibles, look here at the first part, and we get a little question and response. And so, there's a question that Jesus asks, and there's a response. The first question he asks, he says, who do the people say that I am? And we see in there, well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. You can read one of the accounts in this. They say that you're you're John uh, John the Baptist come back from the dead. What are they meaning? Do they actually mean that he's John the Baptist? Do they actually mean that he is Elijah? Do they actually mean, what is is it? I, I think actually they were trying to figure out who Jesus was, the crowd. Because as Jesus went and he taught, we hear him 
teach like John the Baptist. And he would say, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's what John the Baptist did. He preached, repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. Also, you see that he does all these miracles. And if you read the story of Elijah, what happens? What does Elijah do? There's all these miracles that take place. And so he's like Elijah. And if you listen to his teaching, you hear the teaching of, of Jesus, and his teaching is, is that of woe, woe to you. And you read that in Matthew. And when you read Jeremiah, you read a lot of woes in Jeremiah, like woe, people of Israel, or woe, take note, people of Israel. And so when they saw Jesus, they heard Jesus, they were going, we don't, Okay, we know he's somebody. We know there's something supernatural going on, like John the Baptist, or like Elijah, or like Jeremiah, or like one of the prophets. He sounds like this because the Jewish people, remember, he is teaching. He is going into where the Jewish people are, and they're knowledgeable about the prophets. They're knowledgeable about what takes place in the Old Testament. When he got, into, got up in his synagogue and he would teach, he, he'd be open up scripture and teaching from Isaiah. So what we have here is, is that they're asking, he's asking disciples, who do the people say the son of man is? Interesting too that it doesn't, they don't tell him, yeah, well, some think you're crazy, Jesus. Some think you're demon-possessed, right? Isn't it the way it is when somebody asks, well, how, you know, tell me, what, what do you see about me, you know? And, and, you, and we tell all the good stuff. But they were saying that of Jesus as well. So the people agreed that something was going on with Jesus, but they didn't know what. Then he turns to the disciples and he says to them, who do you say I am? Who do you say that I am? Peter then gives this great confession. And he says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. He got it. He understood. He, he understood that Jesus was the Messiah that the Old Testament prophesied would come. He's it. He's it. This is it. He understood that. But he understood it still with a limited view because his understanding of who Christ was was an understanding that he was the Messiah who was going to come and overthrow the, overthrow the, the government of the day, which was the Roman Empire, that he would be back on the throne, that Israel would be back ruling the world just as it was said in the Old Testament, just as God said it would be. He's going to sit on this early earthly throne. So when he confesses that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, he is confessing what he understands as a Jewish man growing up in a Jewish culture that the Messiah was going to come and sit on the throne of David just as it had been foretold. We have the privilege of being on this side of the cross, right? And when we read that confession that he is the Messiah, the son of the living God, I hope you go, amen. All right, because that's who he is. He is the son of the living God. He is the Messiah. He is the one that was prophesied, and we have the full understanding of that. 
So I want to point out two types of people here. This is my first application. Two types of people. There's the crowd and there's the disciples. The crowd was impressed with Jesus. I would have been. I mean, to go to some place where Jesus was and you see a person who was blind and now they see, I mean, I'd be impressed with that. I'd be impressed with his teaching. And we know that they were impressed with his teaching. And then you have the disciples and they were impacted. They were beyond impressed. These guys were impacted. And we know that they were so impacted by Jesus and believing that he was the Messiah that when it came time for, for Jesus to be gathered up by the, by the religious guards, that Peter took out a sword and he cut off an ear. He was going to stand for Jesus and the rule of his throne. I mean, that's how committed he was to what he believed and who Jesus was. Because he was impacted by Jesus. So I could, I could put this and say, you know, we have, a, we have a world out there, and you know it, you live in it, and you'd say, yeah, some people are kind of, maybe they're confused about who Jesus is, some people are maybe are impressed, but I want to bring it here, because I believe there are people here that fit in one or, one or the other of the crowd. Can I say that to you? Some of you sit here today and you are thoroughly impressed with Jesus. You like the story here. Love your neighbors. I like love. That's so good. I like that. You are totally impressed with Jesus. But you're not impacted. Apart from when you come here, some of you, maybe we wouldn't know there was a difference between, we wouldn't know that you are a believer, a follower of Jesus when you step out of these doors. Does that sound judgmental? Is that too harsh? Sometimes we need to hear that. I mean, God sometimes comes to me and he says, Scott, this is not right in your life. I don't like hearing it, but I need it. Jesus didn't come to impress anybody. He came to impact your life. He came to impact your life. And when we understand him as the Messiah, he begins to impact us. We begin on that journey with him that we talked about, a journey invitation to be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, not to be the same. And so here is what I want to say. Is that being impressed by Jesus is okay. But you're missing out. You're missing out on the impact you can have in your life. The impact of knowing how to respond to situations and to people in our lives. How to truly love our neighbors. Love the unlovable. Because he's the one who gives us the love to love those people. I could spend more time here, but we're going to move on.
But I would like you to think about that. Maybe you parked there. Maybe you asked the question to yourself before God right now, ignore me. Who do you say Jesus is? If that's where you stop today, that's a fantastic place to be. Well, there's this great blessing. And Jesus says this in verse 17, blessed, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. This blessing and this confession came not as something which he, he was blessed, but the fact that he had the knowledge makes him blessed. Do you see that? The fact of what was given to him makes him blessed. If you know Jesus as the Messiah, I want to say to you these words here, blessed are you. Blessed are you and put your name in there. Because it is a blessing that you know Jesus Christ. That you can say, I know him as my Savior and my Lord. I know him as the Messiah. I know him as the one who transforms my life. Blessed are you. It wasn't flesh and blood. You know, some here, and I meet people, and they want the facts. Give me the facts. I want to know that there is a Jesus. I want the facts. I want to be able to see it. Kind of a bit like Thomas. I want to touch him. If I can touch him, I'll know him. you got to have that. And I, I, I get that. Your mind works that way. We had a professor at, at, in, in college. He was, Rain and I, one of our favorite professors, Gray Pinnell. Love the man. And do you know Gray? Yeah, all right. We should talk later. Yeah, I love the man. He was, he was, he, he was incredible. His mind is still alive, struggling in his health. But his mind is incredible, so deep. And you just, you sit there and you just, ah, uh, but... He was one of these people that needed to know, I need to know that this is true. I need the facts. And he was in church, and an older gentleman came up to him, and he said this, Gray, you're never going to get enough facts. You'll never get enough facts. You have to step out on faith. And as you do, many of your questions will be answered. But you have to start there. And that was the time in which Gray started his journey with Jesus in a remarkable way. See, it's not by flesh and blood. Flesh and blood. It's not by just the mental capacity that we have to understand who Jesus is. It's the divine revealed to us. It's what he does. And Peter watched the divine in action. And that draw him, drew him to the truth. That's why Jesus says, if you knew me, you know me, and I appreciate the verse that was up there this morning for the kids, because it's really in this realm. If you know me, you'll know the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because the Father and I are one. If I want to know who the Father is, I need to know Jesus. I need to be impacted by him. 
You are blessed today, church, because the Holy Spirit, the divine, has revealed the truth to you. This is the key to the, to the renovated heart we receive from God. Jesus reveals the truth. Being in the presence of God reveals the truth. If I am out here in the world and I'm, I'm engaging with the world and the world is more of an impact in my life, if what I watch and what I read and what I view, those are two things, watch and view, right? Two things. Those things in which I do constantly, you have to ask yourself, what is feeding you? Because what is feeding you will lead you. And if you're spending more time in this world, it will lead you. All right, I got to move. This is good stuff. So Peter, there's this declaration. And he's, the declaration is who Peter is. And he says, Peter, you, you are the rock. You are Peter. Notice back in verse 17 that he says, you are Simon, the son of Barjona. So he gives him this name over here that he's grown up with. But you know that when he saw, Jesus saw him, he says, Peter, your name is now Peter. And this is the beginning of him really living into that. And he says, Peter, you are the rock. You are the rock. That means that he was this strength. He was firm. When God works in our lives, we are transformed into the person we, not into the person we want to be, but the person he designed us to be. Let me say that again. When God works in our lives, we are transformed not into the person we want to be, but into the person he designed us to be. He designed Peter, Simon, Barjona, he designed him to be the rock. Just like he designed you for a purpose and a reason. And that declaration can be over you today. Who are you in the sight of God? Who did God design you to be? And to know this is to know Jesus. And too many people, even here this morning, are struggling with understanding who they are because they're allowing the world to dictate what their vision of who they should be. What I wear, how I talk, how I interact. And I'm allowing that. I'm allowing my school. I'm allowing my environment to dictate that. Instead of looking to allow God to give you a vision of who you are. What is his declaration over you today? What is he saying to you? What is he saying to you? why I'm pausing. <laughs> um, I'm glad Simon didn't stay Simon. I'm glad he was Peter. 
church. Ask him. Who are you? If I asked you, who are you? Most of the time we ask that by saying, what do you do? Adam, what do you do? And that's how we define ourselves, right? John, what do you do? It's who you are, not what you do. Who he's declared, what he's declared over you. That is important. More than anything else, church. And you can know that. It's not a mystery. Because it's not a mystery to God. When I come and I ask him, because I'm asking what he wants. I am a shepherd. I think you've, if you've been here long enough, you know that's my heart, right? I want to gather you all up and I want to make sure you're safe. It's my heart as the shepherd. And I live into that. I am at my best when I live into that. And I'm at the place where I am living the most scared in my life. I feel like I'm on the edge, right on the edge. Because I'm exposing myself. But it's the greatest place to be. Who are you? Young people, wherever you are, who are you? Not what are you going to do? Who are you in Jesus? What is he saying to you? And everybody in between, what is he saying to you? Who are you? All right, I probably... Beat that one enough, right? Um, Where to go? Upon this rock. We have to go here. Upon this rock. What did Jesus mean? Upon this rock, I will build my church. Rock was Petra. It was solid. And when you read it in scripture, in the Bible, when you read the rock, everything to do with the rock was God. He wasn't going to build his church on Peter. That's not what it means. He is building his church on God himself because God is the rock. And just like with Peter, one transformation, one confession at a time, the church is being built. And you are part of it. He is building the church. It's not me that is building this church. You don't want me to build this church. And Simon is coming, and I'm happy, and I'm excited that Simon is coming. But we don't want Simon to build this church. Hi, Simon. (laughs) I think he's watching. I probably just lost my job. But no, it's true. It's true. We want God to build this church, right? That's what we want in here. We want God to build this church because it stands solid then. And the next thing can happen. 
Well, oh, I got other things in there. Ecclesia. I mean, it's the Hebrew, it's, the, it's, it's understood in the Hebrew realm, not the synagogue, but it's the people. And with that, it's a theocracy. God is in charge. And that, that God governs the people, not by a government policy or human kings. So we give titles to people, but it's not what governs us. That's why that's why Paul wrote that Christ is the head of the church. Not me, not Simon, not Shannon, who's the board chair, or any of our elder, other elders. None of them are the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. He is building this church. And if we don't have him build it, then there's no reason for us to be here. We're just a good social club. And that isn't good. G. Morgan Campbell puts it, Jesus took up their old Hebrew illustration, the rock, always a symbol of deity, and he said, upon himself he will build my church, his church. So why is that important? Because it brings victory. The gates of hell will not be able to, they will not be able to contain, they will not be able to hold back the church. So think about it. Gates are not something that you pick up and you march into battle with, are they? Gates are to defend. And it says the gates of hell cannot keep the church from doing what the church is going to do. It's going to march through the gates of hell. Victory is the Lord. I love that, uh, Phil, you, you had, oh, sting. You know, oh, oh, death, where is your sting, right? We can sing that because victory is found in Jesus. The gates are blown off. It cannot contain. It cannot contain. See, sin, sorrow, death, that is what tries to defend us against God. But Jesus conquered sin. He overcame sorrow, and he rose from the dead. That's what he did. And that's why the gates of hell cannot be contained. There is victory. Victory also gives us these keys. What do they provide? Keys. Keys to the kingdom. The Hebrew understanding was, it was this perceptive of, of truth or that the keys were this part of the of the scribes, let me, let me read this right. Um, the keys were a sign or a signa of the scribes. The scribes expressed the truth of God. So when he talked about the keys of the kingdom, it, it is the truth which the scribes have given us. The Ten Commandments. We don't cheat, we don't lie, we don't steal, we don't kill. We obey our parents, right? Most of the time... No, we obey our parents. And parents, we don't exasperate our children. <laughs> we keep the Sabbath. We don't have any other gods. We don't take the Lord's name in vain. These are, these are the truths that were written down. And we have Peter, and we have, we have John, and we have Matthew, and we have other writers of the New Testament. And church, you have been given the keys. Go into all the world. 
Go into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. We hold the truth. We hold the truth. And so we come to the, the last part here because I have lots to say. <laughs> what does it mean to be loosening and binding? And there's been lots of been said about it, but I love what I came up with here as I was studying. Binding simply meant an authority, declar authoritative declaration concerning what must be done or what must not be done. And loosening meant permission given to men to do or not to do. It's not, you. maybe it's within the spiritual realm. I'm not brilliant enough to understand that. But I do know that when Jesus brought this forward, there was a Jewish understanding here of a teacher. So a particular teacher would say, this is what you are obligated to do. You are obligated to follow, do not murder. Okay, you're obligated to do that. And Jesus comes along and he says, hey, you can actually eat grain on a Sunday morning, okay? What is important in this, I see, is what the church has been given is the right and ability to set forth what is truth. Not according to us, but according to God. Why is this important? Well, if I ask you what's happening in our world today, what would you tell me? Not good. Not good. Some of the stuff that you young people face in school, and I don't care if you go to a Christian school or not, some of the stuff that you face in school, if you're homeschooled, it doesn't matter. Some of the stuff you face is pretty, it's bad, it's ugly, it's not good. But our call as a church is to make a difference where we live. We need people who are politicians in Victoria and across this land in Ottawa. We need Christians who will follow God and be in those places. We need Christians who are, who are builders and electricians. We need Christians who are lawyers and doctors. I know we have some in here. We have all of that in here. And you need to be there, not just as someone who says, I go to church, but someone who's living out the life of Christ. You're having an influence on the people around you. People find out what I do. And we've been talking for a while. You know, I've taught you, maybe you've been there before. I've talked with people, and we're talking in a conversation, and they, they, you know, they're swearing all over the place, and they ask me, what do you do? Oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's all right. I've heard it before. I've heard it before. We need to be a light and an influence. The way we live binds and loosens. We might not have liked what happened over COVID, 
And you could think, man, look at what they did, or look what they said, or look what they did with the church. Oh my goodness. And I would say to you, church, we let something go a long time ago. We let go of our influence a long time ago. He called us to be an influence. He called us to be in Ottawa. And so I can point fingers all I want to those people in leadership, but I got to point fingers back at me. What did I let go? Because I could come to church and I can have my latte and I, oh, sorry, didn't mean to step on any toes. And I could feel comfortable and life is good. No, he called us to be an influence. He called you to be an influence. So come back. What is your name? What is he saying to you? What is he calling you? All right, I should end this. Here we go. Jesus asks you, who do you say I am? Is he simply impressing you? Or is he impacting you? I've got a spiritual practice of surrender. You can find it on a sheet back there on the back table. Because I think it's where we got to start, church. This morning when we come to the communion table, it is an opportunity for you to sit and surrender. Who do you say is Jesus is? And maybe today it isn't about taking communion. It's okay. You don't have to. Maybe today is about sitting and going, you know what? Before I take communion, I just want to be getting things right with you, God. Because I've been living what the world tells me to live and not what you've told me to live. So who do you say Jesus is?